may be seated, and I'd like to invite Jay to come forward. Folks, if, for those who don't know him, let me introduce Jay Haig. He's going to be our preacher this morning. He's going to tell you a lot about his story, but I think the best thing that I can say about him is his wife, Claudia, is, uh, is his helpmate. And, mm. and so, uh, congratulations. Thank you. On that. Yeah. So. I married up. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Yes. I know you have, you have other families. This is uh, our daughter, Hope, and Willow is also here, her daughter. Wonderful. Let's, first of all, let's welcome them. Okay. We're glad you're here. Okay. And uh, Jay, he used to be on staff here, by the way. So it's another, it's another tie. But let's pray for Jay, and then I'm going to let him take it, and he'll tell us more. So, Lord, thank you, O oh God, that, that in your divine grace... You've brought family back amongst family. Lord, I ask your blessing to be on Jay as he speaks. And Lord, on us as we seek to hear your voice in what he says. So have your way among us this morning, O oh God. Come, Holy Spirit, and lead us to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thanks, Brooke. Well, I'm equipped to wander. I don't know if I'm going to wander or not. So we'll, uh, we'll see what develops. Um, will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, your word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We thank you that you know our hearts and that you still love us deeply. Your love has never wavered from the time we were created until this very moment. It will exist throughout creation and on into eternity. We ask that you would meet us, Lord, in our broken hearts. Heal them and give us the hope of the gospel, the hope of eternal life throughout this time today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm glad that uh, Hope and Willow showed up. Um, Willow is about 20 months old, and um, I've been telling her my name since she was about six months old. My name is Papa to her. Mimi is her grandmother. I've been saying Papa. Can you say Papa? Nothing, nothing, nothing. And so the other night I went over and visited. I said, can you say Papa? Nothing. Got home sat down, and Hope texted me. She just said, Papa, for the first time. So all things come when they're supposed to, right? All right. Some uh, words from the book of James. If you have your Bibles, you might want to open them. Uh, James 1, 18 uh, to uh, 21. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, how many of you read the book of James and come to the conclusion that this is a pretty tough message? I mean, he's not your average feel-good preacher, is he? I mean, anyone who says, uh, let your joy be turned into dejection, 
Humble yourselves. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, your joy to dejection. Be wretched, be mourn, and weep. He's got to be a pretty tough guy, right? There's a good possibility that James was Jesus' half-brother. And I think you could very well say that the theme of the book of James is the passage where it says, and he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has placed within us. When we read James, we know that something's up with us, that something's wrong with us, that he's getting at something that is really important. And what he's getting at is that God loves us and yearns that our hearts be wholly his. And so he begins this passage by talking about our destiny, our identity. He says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. It's as if God is the midwife or he is even the mother. He brings us forth by the word of truth of the gospel. Brooks said we're not here by accident. Every one of us is here because Jesus called us. Jesus beckoned us. Jesus loved us enough to reach out to us. We heard the word preached. James references to the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was the first fruits. He brought us forth as a kind of first fruits. And he's saying there's something about us Christians that speaks to the world of the harvest yet to come. When Claudia and I lived up in Massachusetts, uh, in the springtime, we often went to the strawberry patch and we picked strawberries, brought them home, made strawberry preserves and maybe gave some of those away and then ate some. So our hands and faces were red by the end of the day. Because in New England, you have to wait to the end of the summer for the tomatoes and the corn and all that stuff. And that's in September. The strawberries come in June. And the strawberries, as we consumed them, gave us the hope that there was something yet to come. And James will go on in epistle, his epistle to talk about the harvest. Let's not confuse the first fruits with the harvest. But let's not omit the confidence and the promise that the first fruits offer. The first fruits may be a little, but they are a taste of what is to come. And he is saying we as Christians are a little bit of the taste to the world of what is to come of what the world is going to be like. We forget that we are living in a world now that is not at all like the world we are going to. You've heard the story of the two fish. They're swimming along, and one fish says to the other fish, what do you think of the water? And the other fish says, what water? We are so used to living in a world of sin that we can't imagine a world that is not like that. But that's the world we are headed to, a perfect, fulfilled, unified, loving world. That's for the world we're heading to. And James says, we are a sign of that to the world. That we should be, that's the purpose-driven life, that we should be a kind of a first fruits, a taste, a foretaste of what is to come. But there's a problem. There's a problem. He says, know this. This is often like Jesus saying, truly, truly. You know, when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he's saying, pay attention. Charles Stanley sometimes says, listen, listen, listen. When Jesus says, truly, truly, that's Hebrew repetition. It means this is very important coming. This is James, his half-brother, saying, know this, pay attention. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
slow to anger. So there's a problem in the world, and that is we're quick to react. We live in a world of anger. Social media is its repository. Social media is a place where people are looking for an audience, and maybe not even finding one. But it's also a place to vent anger. And we live in an age of anger. And the anger comes from wounds that are deeply held in the souls of men and women. You know, Jesus came to listen. A friend of mine, Frank Lake, who was my teacher in England, wrote a hundred pages on Jesus came to listen. When you read his encounters with people, he says things like, how long has he been like this? What would you like me to do for you? Do you want to be healed? He is a question asker and he waits for the response. And we are to be like that. I had a professor in college. He was a Socratic person. He spent all of his classes not saying what he believed. You never knew what he believed. He wanted to know what you believed. And so he would ask questions constantly. And he would feed back to you the answers that you had given. And share them with the rest of the class. So he knew you better than you knew yourself. He'd often say, did I say that? He said, yes, you said it last Thursday. He now has a endowment in his name. He died at an early age. They have conventions in his honor. All because he listened. The world is looking for people who will listen. But instead, we have a lot of anger. And the anger is preventing what the end of this passage says, receiving with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We have a block. And the anger is covering over some other things to which it leads. Do you know the old story of Androcles and the lion? It's an Aesop's fable. Androcles was walking uh, down the path and he saw this lion and the lion was roaring and he was afraid of him. He looked very angry. And as he got closer to the lion and he stopped and he looked, he saw that the lion had a thorn in its paw. And so the debate was, do I dare get close enough to him to take out the thorn or do I keep walking? You see, that's the that's the dilemma. Anger is not a primary emotion. It's a reaction. If any of you have talked to somebody who is angry or you've gone into therapy and you've worked through your anger, what happens when somebody begins to talk to their anger and work through it? Any guesses? More anger. What's underneath that? Fear and hurt. Okay. So usually what happens? A person starts crying, right? Someone hurt me. He did that to me. She did that to me. I was abandoned. And we get down to the nitty gritty of the stuff that's really underneath, that really has to be dealt with. And that is where the real ministry takes place. I know somebody who's had a terrible life between the age of 15 and the age of 30. 
beaten down by circumstances, broken family, alcoholism, all kinds of things. And as a result of that, he's become extremely angry. He is like the lion. And he will not like let anyone close enough to him to take out the thorn. And unfortunately, he is about to pass away. Some of us are like that ourselves. Some of us know somebody like that. And we've tried to get close enough to them and we've been unable to do it because they will not let us get close enough to take out the thorn. As many of you know, or some of you know, I work in a ministry called Living Without Lust. It deals with sexually broken men. And what we find with sexually broken men is that very often their use of pornography, their um, sexual brokenness is rooted in childhood shame and pain and neglect. I discussed in the class this morning the enormous problem of same-sex attraction within the African-American church. It's because of the absent father. And so these men are looking for father figures and they end up sexualizing that. We have people who have been through trauma of all kinds of things and all the chemicals have been released into their brains. And so the use of porn is sort of like that commercial with the, uh, the teenager who's got a stinky room and the, the, the commercial for the spray is you go in the room and you spray it all over the furniture, right? Every woman says, that will never work. Because it's not getting at the problem. We have to get inside the problem. Inside the problem. Because underneath the anger is what James calls all filthiness and rampant wickedness. We sometimes call sexual addiction the athlete's foot of the soul, the mildew. It lives in dark, dank places and grows. And unless somebody can get into that place and redeem that place, the bondage will continue. In John chapter 3, Jesus talks to Nicodemus. And in part of that story, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. For a long time, I didn't understand the story about the serpent. You remember the serpents? The serpents were biting the people. And so Moses took one of the serpents and put it up at the pole on the pole. And he said, you must look at this. And Jesus says, that's what I'm like when I go up on the cross. I'm like that serpent lifted up. But what is it about the servant? It's the serpent. The serpent what was, is what is biting the people. And the people must look at it. When Jesus goes to the cross and we see him battered and beaten and broken, he is saying, this is you. And if you will look at me and you will bring your rank growth of wickedness and your fear and your wounds to me, I will make them whole. This is what is preventing us from eliminating and redeeming the rank growth of wickedness. What about angry Jonah? In Jonah chapter 4, remember after Jonah's been told to go to Nineveh, he doesn't go. He goes to Tarshish. He comes back. God redeems the, the Ninevites anyway, and he gives them a tree. 
to sit under the shade and then God, the tree withers and Jonah gets angry. He's so angry. He says, I'm angry enough to die. God says to him at the close of Jonah, he said, you're angry enough to die. But what about those 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left? That's what I'm concerned with. You see, unless we get rid of the hurt and the wounds and the pains, we cannot get on to God's agenda. Someone once said, there's nothing more self-centered than a wounded person. Because the wounds make us focus on ourselves. And James is telling us that you have to put all that away. You have to deal with it in order to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. When I was working through my own addiction, my functional God was lust. My imminent God was lust. The real God was out there somewhere, but I couldn't find him. When I finally brought my wounds to Jesus and let him take it, let him deal with it. As the song said this morning, to, for him to taste death for all of us, that we don't have to taste death. He's tasted it for all of us as he entered our humanity. All of a sudden, the two gods switched. The God of lust was still out there. But the real God came in and filled the vacuum, came in and began to give life. That's the challenge we have in dealing with wounded spirits, whether they be wounded due to lust or resentment or fear. Jesus came and entered that world. So that we might not be left without hope. You see, the gospel shows us that Jesus loves us as we are. The shame factor in addiction is the belief that if our performance isn't what it should be, that God no longer loves us. His love was never based on the performance. His love wants to come into that place of shame and to redeem it. So we have a choice. Our choice is to try to deal with it ourselves, to try to keep it hidden, to try to keep people away with anger and defensiveness. You see, there's two kinds of ways we deal with it. Fight and flight. Fight says I'm, I'm trying, to, trying to blame my circumstances or someone else or whatever. And flight says I'm going to hide from you because I don't want you to know what's in me. I went through years of not being able to be intimate relationally because I didn't want people to know what was inside me. And so I had to come to the light. I had to get clean. I had to confess my struggle. I had to get honest. I had to come into the light. You know, first John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, the the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and we have fellowship with one another. That's an astounding statement. We cannot be cleansed from the blood of Jesus and we cannot have fellowship with one another unless we come into the light and get honest. 
Thankfully, the gospel allows us to do that, do just that. To be honest. David, the great king, knew that experience. You know it as Psalm 32. I'm going to close with this. He said, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. That's the situation he was in before he acknowledged what was really going on. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Then let's see what comes into his life as a result of that, as a result of coming clean. And that's what we tell those who are in the bonds of porn addiction and uh, lust addiction. You've got to come clean. You've got to get it all out. You not only have to admit your powerlessness, you have to believe God can heal you. You have to surrender to him and begin to deal with your character defects. Forgive other people. Be forgiven. It has to come out. He says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of waters, they shall not reach him. So he's experiencing victory for the first time. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Then he has guidance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. He has victory, he has guidance, and then he has resilience. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Sexual brokenness may not be your thing, although it is a tsunami. Believe me, we're on the front lines. We know it is a tsunami that is growing among the young, especially. And many of us are going to have to face how to deal with them and to talk with them. And so if it's not your problem today, thank God. There are many people in the rooms who say, I wish it was something else, but, but it's this. But we do need to know how to deal with those around us who are covering it over through defensiveness, through anger, through keeping us at arm's length. But with kindness and love and mercy and help, we can begin to help them just as he has helped us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, he said, we are called to comfort people with the same comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted. One of the great things about the lust recovery movement is that people who have the problem can help others. This is the way God designed it. And so he turns a problem into an opportunity. He turns a crisis into a gift. And he calls us To look upon him, the high and lifted up one. And in looking at him, 
we find healing, forgiveness, and hope. Let's pray. Father, wherever we are with brokenness today, wherever we are in a world of broken people, we know that you have called us to be agents of hope and mercy and reconciliation. I pray, Father, for those who may be hiding secrets, who may be struggling and have never told anyone, who are keeping others at arm's length like the lion, hoping no one will come close enough to see what's really wrong. Help those of us who are struggling with that, Lord, to come into the light, to come into fellowship and find the light of peace and truth. And for those who are living with or related to those who are struggling, may they have wisdom and perseverance to know how to minister, how to talk to those who may be struggling and to get them help. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the one who heals us. Thank you for raising up people who will join arms with you to walk this walk as we meet the challenge of today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.